It's also a diversion from the Fed. And I think in many ways, Japan is just trying to keep its head down <laughs> and avoid the collateral damage from all of this. But I do think that in many ways, the outlook for the yen, the outlook for Japan's economy, probably has a lot more to do with what happens in Washington and Beijing than what happens in Tokyo anytime soon. We're getting a lot of tourists back, you know, now that the economy is reopening. And that is a great thing that might actually have helped Japan in the fourth quarter of last year in terms of returning to growth. But the outlook really is a kind of China-U.S. play at this point. Okay, William, thank you very much indeed. That's Tokyo-based journalist and author William Pesic. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And over in Tokyo, the Nikkei 225 right now is up a quarter of a percent. In Australia, the ASX 200 has risen 0.1%. Uh, the Cosby also moving in a positive direction, up a quarter of a percent. Uh, Going to be a similar story for the Hang Seng at the Open, which is expected to rise 25 points. Um, thank you very much for listening. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at eight o'clock for further money talk coming up after the news is back chats with jim gould and ada wong the weather forecast mainly cloudy the visibility is going to be rather low in some areas sunny intervals during the day and a maximum temperature of around 23 degrees the outlook is for it to be mainly cloudy with some mist in the next couple of days and then windier on wednesday the temperature right now is 20 degrees 86 percent relative humidity the Times 8.31 with the half-hour news. Here's Barry O'Rourke. Rescue efforts are continuing in southern Turkey and northern Syria following two powerful earthquakes which have killed more than 3,800 people. Blizzards and nighttime conditions are making it even more difficult to locate and retrieve people trapped under collapsed buildings. Many rescuers have been working with their bare hands. Medical resources are stretched on both sides of the border and hospitals have little or no power. Mohammed Hamza from the agency Islamic Relief said healthcare services are being overwhelmed. We already started to deliver medical items to our supported health facilities, which are full of injured people and out of our, of our control. Actually, we have like more than 4,000 injured and needs an immediate health care. Turkey's President Erdogan has described the disaster as Turkey's worst since 1939. Dr. Osama Salum is an emergency doctor at a Syrian hospital near the Turkish border. Our staff so limited. We have a limitation, resources by equipment, and the injuries are still coming to our hospital, and we have to deal with them. There is no way to refer uh, these uh, this injuries to another hospital because all of the hospital completely occupied and some of the hospital out of service. Meanwhile, Beijing has acknowledged that a balloon spotted flying over Latin America is from China. A similar balloon that flew across the western U.S. was shot down. Mao Ning from the foreign ministry said the second balloon was not a threat. As regards to the balloon over Latin America, we can confirm that the relevant unmanned airship is from China. It is of a civilian nature. It was used for flight tests. It was blown off course by the weather. Its manoeuvrability is limited. In Argentina, five Argentine amateur rugby players have been sentenced to life imprisonment for beating to death a young man outside a nightclub three years ago. Three others were sentenced to 15 years. The murder of Fernando Baez Sosa shocked the country and raised questions about racism and class division in Argentina. The 18-year-old law student was kicked and punched after one of his friends accidentally bumped into one of the rugby players. The victim's family lawyer, Fernando Belando, said all eight men should have been sentenced to life in prison and that he would appeal.
This was premeditated. Everyone had their role. Determining the secondary participation will probably be the easiest way for us to resolve this and in some way find a sense of balance for Fernando's family. And finally, a panel investigating a plane crash in Nepal that killed 72 people last month has found that the plane's engine had no thrust motion, meaning no power in the last leg of its descent. The Yeti Airlines flight from Kathmandu to the tourist town of Pokhara crashed on landing before catching fire, killing everyone on board. The five-person committee has been appointed by the Nepalese government to investigate the accident. There'll be more news on the hour from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Jim Gould and your guest presenter is Ada Wong. Good morning, Ada. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, we're talking about the $580 billion project to build three artificial islands off Lantau to provide uh, more than 200,000 new flats and a new central business district. The Gaoyi Chow Artificial Islands Project has been described by the government as a major solution to the city's land supply and housing shortage. But 11 green groups have jointly called on the administration to scrap the plan, voicing concerns about the environmental impact. What do you think of this project? Uh, is it worth the cost to address Hong Kong's land shortage? What about the, its impact on the environment? You can let us know what you think on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And after 9.15 we'll look at the use of glue boards for catching rats after it was found that a number of wild birds had also been caught in them. And our guests for our main topic this morning uh, now, we have on the line uh, Ryan Yip, uh, Vice President and Co-Head of Research at the Our Hong Kong Foundation, and Lam Chu Ying, former Director of the Hong Kong Observatory and Honorary Chairman of the Hong Kong Birdwatching Society. Um, good morning to you both. Um, perhaps, good morning. Um, good morning. morning. Uh, perhaps, um, Lam Chu Ying, perhaps we can start with you because... Uh, your organisation was one of the groups which declined an invitation yesterday for to attend a, a consultation. Um, what is it about the consultation process that you're actually objecting to? Well, it's, uh, I, I'm more concerned about the, the, the subject itself rather than the consultation process. Because if the subject, the, the island is not worth anything, then there's really nothing to talk about. Mm. Uh, but in any case, in any case... Um, the consultation has been conducted in a very obscure way. I mean, I was involved in another consultation process of the government a few years back uh, about uh, the carbonization of uh, the Hong Kong um, economy and so on. And we took, we took a lot of effort to reach out to the communities. We, we go to the districts, we go to the different sectors. And uh, we, we, we had a questionnaire for the public to fill in. Uh, and so on. So it, it was a very comprehensive and uh, very proactive approach. Uh, so in the end, we got the um, zero carbon emissions uh, target for Hong Kong uh, in 2050. But this time, nobody knew about the consultation. Nobody knew about anything at all. So even up to now, you 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 would need quite some effort to find the website to to so that you could respond to it. So, 
I, I'm afraid this uh, particular consultation process is is apparently decided not to involve too many people. Mm. Uh, okay, well, let's uh, put that to uh, Ryan Yip. I mean, we, we'll get into the, the, the merits or, or otherwise of the, of the whole project uh, in, a, in a moment. I mean, we've talked about it before on this program, of course, but it's a huge, it's a huge deal. It's worth, obviously, uh, uh, going over it all, and um, it's, uh, it's ongoing, of course. Um, but just on the issue of the consultation, uh, do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I guess uh, let's just uh, take a step back and, uh, and take a look uh, whether this uh, artificial island is worth doing. I think, uh, I think that there are three questions that we need to answer. One is, do we need so much land? Uh, second is, do we need uh, a new CBD? And third one is, do, does it worth the cost? Right? I think yeah. um, for the first one, um, Ryan, can I just uh, can I just interrupt you there briefly? Because I, I just sure. just first first of all, just wanted to get your thoughts on what Mr. Lamb had been saying about the way the consultation has been conducted so far. I think obviously, uh, from my point of view, there is a room for improvement in, in terms of you know, how the um, consultation is being uh, conducted. Because uh, obviously, if you look at a lot of other uh, large scale projects in the past. Uh, uh, like the NDAs or like the Northern Metropolis, uh, uh, you will see that the, um, the obviously the scale uh, of consultation or, or the depth uh, of consultation is a little bit different this time. Uh, we, we saw a lot of public forums or uh, surveys uh, in other uh, uh, projects, and so, so certainly I think uh, there is a, uh, a a need or there is a room for improvement. Uh, in terms of consultation this time. I think the government should do a lot more uh, explanations. Uh, they can engage uh, the public more uh, to get their views and also uh, to talk to uh, not only the professional groups but also the uh, community uh, in general more. So um, can an ordinary citizen express his or her views uh, with this very limited consultation? Mr. Well, I think, uh, well, I think if you look at... Uh, Currently, uh, there is a, I think there's a website uh, that uh, uh, shows the um, a basic information of the project and also it, it also invites uh, the uh, public to, uh, you know, uh, send in their views. But uh, I, I think there can be a more structured approach uh, to, uh, to, to, to collectives like uh, public forums or like even, uh, you know, uh, local uh, community uh, forums, etc., that can uh, have more uh, weight for the uh, community uh, and society in general to express their views. Okay, well, uh, I know that you're both uh, very interested to uh, put your views about the project itself. So yes. perhaps, um, perhaps, uh, well, perhaps uh, Lam Chu Ying, would you like to go first? Yes, um, well, the I am a meteorologist, so I, 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 I know a little bit about climatology. Well, you can see, at the moment, island states in the Pacific Ocean and, and say, Maldives in, in the Indian Ocean, they are worried about their country being submerged in the rising sea. Um, so, obviously, there is a problem with islands in this world for civilization. Uh, and out of the blue, we are creating an artificial island in the sea, waiting to be submerged by the rising sea associated with climate change. So this is against very simple basic logic. 
why would you create a long term uh, problem um, uh, in order to solve a short term problem about uh, CBD or about uh, uh, housing for something like uh, half a million people? What about uh, a protective seawall or something? Yeah, well, why? <laughs> uh, then, uh, the answer is why don't the island states build a seawall to protect their country? Because the sea is going to rise not in the next decades, but in the next two to three centuries. And at the moment, one is one, one has a problem predicting how much it will rise because there is a small but definite probability that it could rise by tens of meters of, uh, uh, in the two to uh, three uh, centuries to come. Well, anyway, the, the, the basic question is why would you create an island which has to be protected to buy a ever higher seawall? Well, the engineers would be very happy because they would be guaranteed job for the next two to three centuries. And the, the, well, the fundamental question is we have land in the new territories. Why would you spend money to create an island in the sea which has to be protected by a seawall, an ever higher seawall in the next two to three centuries? It is simply stupid. Okay, uh, Ryan Yip, uh, so the, the Development Secretary said the governments are aiming to speed up uh, taking back 200 hectares of brownfield sites in the new territories. We've got the, uh, the, the Northern Metropolis Plan, of course, to, to, to house more than 2 million people. So, uh, I mean, do, do we still need this um, Gaoyichao artificial islands? Well, I think the uh, answer is positive because, uh, well, obviously uh, the housing market is getting down a little bit. Uh, people are talking about whether they really need uh, so much housing in the future. But I think uh, uh, this sort of scenario has happened before, right? Uh, in, back in SARS, uh, when the property market collapsed, and all, all, all of the people are talking about, we're talking about we don't need so much housing, so we stopped building houses and we stopped all the large-scale uh, land development process. And uh, we all see what happened in the, in the last 20 years. So we don't, we, we, we will not want that to repeat in the future. In the sense that we, uh, obviously land creation is a long-term process, right? So uh, we shouldn't be, it shouldn't be affected by short-term market fluctuations. That's point number one. Uh, point number two is um, we, we've done our calculations before. Uh, we, uh, we estimated that in the next 30 years or so, we will need uh, 9,000 hectares of land. And even uh, if we come in the northern metropolis, if we come in all the uh, brown fields, uh, all the plan planned projects in the new territory, they can only provide about uh, 7,000 hectares left. So we still have 2,000 hectares of uh, shortage. Uh, that's point uh, number two. And point uh, number three is, uh, I think uh, we, uh, a lot of people also point to the uh, population forecast, uh, which shows uh, you know our population will decrease uh, 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 by 2069, uh, but then uh, we, we also have to note that uh, this is only a median forecast. Right? There is also an upper range and obviously a lower range, but in the upper range scenario, uh, the, the population will continue to increase up to around 9 million people by that time. So uh, it, uh, what I want to say is this is a uh, population forecast is actually a huge uh, 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 inaccurate or, or, or it's very unpredictable, right? So 
we need to prepare uh, uh, the upper range to actually happen. So we need to have an up uh, uh, land reserve or or, or buffer, uh, uh, depends on how you may, how you may call it, to to. To, to, to make sure we can cope with the higher range uh, situation. Otherwise, uh, the, the fair housing shortage will repeat uh, in the future. And I get another problem, uh, that is problem number one, do we need some land? Another problem, another question is do we need another CBT, right? Uh, obviously, because of COVID, because of economic downturn, uh, our, our vacancy of uh, office buildings, offices in the office space recently has rise to a uh, significant uh, level. But uh, again, we have to let's take note that our office cost uh, in Hong Kong is actually still one of the highest in the world. And if we want to attract business here, we obviously we, we, we need to lower our cost of doing uh, business. But then having said that, I think given uh, the moment metropolis is going, I think the government has to clarify what they have said or at least they need to have some kind of plan some kind of industrial policy to, to, to clarify what kind of what kind of uh, business that you're going to attract in North in northern metropolis and what kind of business that you're going to attract in this targeted artificial island. There has to be a uh, division of proper division of labor here. And also uh, another point that I want to address uh, is the cost. Uh, well, a lot of people are also talking about the cost. Uh, uh, but then we can also look at the government's figures. Uh, the cost it's five. Uh, it's 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 five hundred eighty uh, billion. Uh, but if you if you look at the government figures, uh, the land sales for this, we're going to going to reach uh, seven hundred fifty billion. Of course, uh, there are uh, many concerns about whether the government uh, uh, estimate is accurate, right? But at least we can have some kind of figures as a base for our discussion. Otherwise, there is no base for us to do. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I obviously I believe the government has to reveal a lot more information, especially the assumptions on how they calculate the cost and also how they assume, how they project the uh, land sale revenue. Sure. And another thing that I think the government should do is actually to uh, carefully uh, plan how the artificial island is going to complete, you know, carefully plan the construction process, carefully plan the uh, you know, how much land and how much housing is going to uh, release the market in how many years? Because firstly, that would uh, that would that would provide a better play, better base for the government and also society to calculate the cost, and also that would uh, have uh, to prepare uh, uh, the market to have better expectations on when and how much land and housing and obviously all. All the state as well is going to come to the market. I think that. Okay. Right. Um, um, okay. Ryan, um, I, I wonder whether, you know, this, uh, this factor is important. Uh, we will be integrating with the Greater Bay Area. And as far as I know, there are already more than half a million of Hong Kong people living in the mainland. Uh, in the future, more will do so. So, um, you know, the whole GBA is, is our hinterland. And uh, so it's like uh, if things are very expensive in Manhattan, then people will go and live in New Jersey. I'm not sure how <laughs> this, this analogy is, is correct or not. And, and so um, 
you know, we, we have to look at uh, mobility, we have to look at future of work. And um, so Hong Kong people have choices and they don't actually need to buy a flat um, in Hong Kong itself. So it is very different from 20 years ago when the only option perhaps is to buy a flat here. Um, yeah, I, I like what you have just said uh, about the past 20 years. We, we can't rely on the past 20 years because it has been a very special time. Um, uh, population in Hong Kong continue to grow, but gradually leveling off. And Mr. Yip has just said that, oh, population projection is a forecast. But one reality is that the population of China has peaked already. And we, we will, Hong Kong population may already have peaked because the population last year was less than the, the year before. So um, while well, Mr. Yip talked about the, high, the upper bound, but then how about the lower bound? And um, but all that has has been said just now are just the details of of the island. We have to look at the big picture, as uh, uh, the hosts have said. Well, the big picture is that China has adopted a very positive approach to ecology. Uh, ecological civilization is already a part of the constitution. And in 2018, very few people in Hong Kong know, but the state council has announced a total ban on reclamation of the sea for civilian use. And uh, so uh, for the purpose of protecting um, marine resources. So this is a very proactive effort. Hong Kong, if we proceed, would be the only and the last place in China to reclaim land from the sea in violation of this very basic um, ecological civilization principle. And why should an advanced city like Hong Kong be the worst off in terms of ecological protection in China? It would be a shame. While we might be protected by the legal words of the basic law, and we, we could choose to deviate from that ban issued by the state council, but why should we be different from all the people in China and damage the sea for a short-term solution for housing? I'm afraid we, it would be extremely shameful of us to do this, and we can't really face our, our, our people in the mainland. So the ecology is now the main thrust of our high-quality development in, in the mainland. In Hong Kong, people are talking about, oh, we, we need a CBD, we, 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 we need um, a housing for half a million people. These are minor details in the national development program. So don't get the nose too close to the book. You can't read anything from the book. So I, I will ask Mr. Yip and his colleagues to stand back, as he has just said, stand back, look at the big picture. The sea is rising ecology we must protect and we could accommodate the people in the northern metropolis which is closer to the greater bay area why would you integrate with the greater bay area with a remote island at the middle of the sea in nowhere furthest mm. away from gba 
So this is the big picture. Now, uh, Lam Julian, I want to ask uh, further about the uh, the island waiting to be submerged in the sea. Yes. I mean, it, it sounds very uh, horrific. Yes. Uh, but um, in the northern met metropolis, uh, in Yunlong, uh, we have yes. uh, low-lying areas and <laughs> yes. that are prone to flooding. Yes. And, and I know that like drainage services and they yes. are really enhancing um, the mm. drainage and etc. Uh, but uh, when there's flooding from uh, Hao Hoi Wan, the yes. bay uh, there, uh, it would also be quite disastrous. So yes, why, why are we building um, <laughs> in North Metropolis? Uh, yeah. Well, okay. This is a very good point. Thank you for bringing up this. Actually, I have been advocating that the, the, the wetland area, wetland areas uh, in Northwestern New Territories should be declared a no habitation zone because it would be submerged as climate change leads to sea level rise. So we should actually stop any developments with, uh, I mean, uh, sort of uh, residential areas in and near the wetland area and the northwestern uh, new territories. When we see, when we talk about northern metropolis, we should be building, building, uh, say, in, in the plain further inland, away from the sea, not on the wetland itself. Okay, we've got, got an email here from a listener, CW, says uh, uh, Hong Kong dollars 580 billion project to build three artificial islands uh, for 200,000 flats. Isn't this just another developer-led scheme that also creates land for the government to sell and generate income for the government? This has nothing to do with town planning, defies all logic to go ahead with this scheme. Um, that from CW. Um, uh, Ryan Ip, I mean, you, you've explained, I mean, from your point of view, uh, the importance of this project in the town planning process and uh, and um, uh, what you say is like the you know the need for for more land um, um, uh, and which cannot be provided uh, completely in the new territories but what, what, what do you think just before we break for the news what do you think about um, Lam Chu Ying's points about the environment and for instance um, you know the big fear about rising sea levels I think there are uh, two separate things. Right? First of all, is uh, do we need such land? Uh, and second of all, is uh, do how about the uh, environmental issues? That I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure if you well, like any other project in Hong Kong, uh, this project has to go through all the uh, uh, structures really required environment, environmental impact assessments. Uh, so I'm sure uh, during that process, the government will look at the environmental issues and whether there is the issues and if there is the issues, how, how can we mitigate it? Because without going through all these processes, island simply cannot, this project simply cannot proceed. So there, I think uh, the, uh, the statutory process uh, in place would be enough to uh, safeguard uh, the, the concerns. Uh, and also, uh, if we talk about rising sea levels, let me remind uh, the, all of us here that, you know, Nearly half of Hong Kong's population are actually living uh, across, close to the shoreline. So, uh, if anything that will uh, be affected by the uh, rising sea levels, uh, well, half of the population here will be affected by the uh, rising sea levels. So, uh, this is not a problem that is that is solely uh, affecting the artificial islands. I'm sure there is uh, uh, engineering. Solutions to it, uh, Mr. Yip. You mentioned that uh, we'll be 2,000 hectares short uh, if we look at the high range of population growth. 
and uh, and the need for more flats. But um, looking at the figures in the last few years, of course, we had a pandemic and um, uh, things will look rosier from this year onwards. But still, um, we don't see a population growth. Even if we have lots of new immigrants uh, in Hong Kong, um, I think a population will be quite stable in the next um, decade or so. Um, if we are 2,000 hectares short, uh, because uh, you are looking at the upper range, could these 2,000 hectares um, be found um, somewhere and uh, instead of using 580 billion of, uh, from our coffers to, to build the artificial islands, what I'm saying is that we have options, right? Well, certainly, uh, 2,000 hectares, like this, this 2,000 hectares shortage is based on the uh, uh, baseline population uh, projections because obviously, uh, apart from uh, population increase, we also have to look at how do we uh, how, how, how do we increase the uh, average uh, living spaces? How do we provide enough uh, economic spaces, etc.? So uh, uh, the, the 2,000 hectare uh, uh, projections is based on the Bayside um, uh, uh, projections. But also, uh, well, when we talk about GBA, right, but let's uh, remember Hong Kong is actually part of GBA. Obviously, you have people uh, move to work. Uh, living in Shenzhen, Zhuhai, but again, you also have people uh, hopefully move from Shenzhen or other parts of the city to live in Hong Kong. And uh, we also have uh, the, 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 the chief executive also lay out new initiatives to attract talent and enterprises. And that would require uh, housing and also uh, economic spaces. I think at the end of the day, it depends on what our vision of Hong Kong is. Do we, do we visionize Hong Kong as continue to be a international metropolis that attracts talent people and enterprises from all around the world, not only GBA, and if so, that obviously we have to provide the necessary uh, housing and also, uh, you know, okay. economic basis for them. Okay, got to pause it there. We're taking a break for the news. We'll be back uh, at three minutes past. A uh, quick look at the weather, mainly cloudy today, visibility low, uh, sunny intervals later. It's currently 20 degrees, humidity is 84%. Welcome back to Back Chat with Ada Wong and me, Jim Gould. And for the main part of the programme this morning, we're talking about the Gaoyichao Artificial Islands Project. Uh, that's the plan, the multi-billion dollar plan, to create uh, three artificial islands in the waters, actually between Lantau and Hong Kong, just to the, just to the east of Pengchao, and provide more than 200,000 new flats and a new central business district. Uh, um, there are environmental concerns, of course, uh, as well as um, uh, the argument that, um, well, the land for development housing has got to come from somewhere, and this is a suitable plan. So um, we had uh, considerable discussion about it before 9 o'clock, and we're going to continue for the next uh, uh, 15 minutes or so, 10, 15 minutes. We're also joined now by Vienna Mack, Vice Chairperson of the Hong Kong Dolphin Conservation Society. Good morning to you. Good morning. So what are your environmental concerns about this? I mean, I mean, for instance, um, uh, in terms of the Chinese white dolphins, I don't think they actually live in that location anymore, do they? Um, um, actually, the, the, the Chinese white dolphin, the, the, the central water actually is their historical um, habitat. But mm. actually, the Venus porpoise is our main concern there uh, now. The finless porpoise? 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Because they frequent the area, and and what do you think they'll be like uh, driven away if this goes ahead? Um. Mentally, the like most importantly for the financial point who occurs predominantly at night time, and they are the dolphin kind hard to be studied. Mm. There are new evidence from um, 24-hour acoustic data showing the project area, including Kavi Chow, Peng Chow, and Sunshine Island in the East Town, are constantly used by our local fitness purposes, which is listed as vulnerable on the international endangered species list, the IUCN red list. So therefore, it is an obligation for Hong Kong government to protect the species and their every single habitat. So we all have to protect this water or this animal will be threatened. For example, the reclamation work will result in permanent habitat laws and it will also bring a large number of marine vessels to the area which can negatively impact the marine mammals using the area as they are very sensitive to underwater noise. And also, wood sources for, uh, for the porpoises will be destroyed. So their reproductive system will be affected and calves will be hard to survive and eventually die and disappear from Hong Kong waters. Yes, uh, I, I remember that, um, you know, we, we also talked about issues about dolphins, about porpoises uh, when um, Hong Kong uh, was building the third runway. Um, how are things there now? Or, and, um, you know, do you see any good mitigation ideas? Um, actually, there is hardly uh, any mitigation measures effective to like mitigate any of the of, of the impact for the Chinese white dolphin, and it also applies to the Venus porpoise. And um, actually, for this kind of project, we found that there are big problems in the study design, like for this one, uh, and and how the government reacts for the poor predictions for the past uh, projects like as, as, as you mentioned the third one way and the Hong Kong dry Macau bridge that caused uh, marine life disasters disasters um, for example the government only collect one year very short period of survey data and so little relevant past data was available in the uh, in the project area including Kali Zhao and, and Peng Chao no one should draw conclusion or believe the ecological value in Kali Zhao and nearby waters will be low for the marine mammals without basic research then jump into any decision to destroy the habitat Secondly, we should not forget that when the Hong Kong Dry Macau Bridge Reclamation Works done in a lower density dolphin habitat and turned out made the dolphins disappeared from the most populated habitat in the Sachao and Nongku Chao Marine Park, which impacts were all the papers. The government did not take action the project or to have at all. So um, this will be a loop for for our marine environment and the dolphins and porpoises and the habitat destruction have in the past two decades have been too much in our waters and there is no chance for the marine environment to recover. Mm. So another reclamation project in such a large scale will result in further damage in the surrounding marine environment. Mm. It, is, it will be a very sad thing in our in our, in our neighborhood. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, Ryan Yip, so the Sustainable Lantau Office says uh, um, the uh, measures to uh, alleviate the impact on the environment will be announced uh, later in this year. In terms of the design of the project itself, so you've got like three islands with a, a Y-shaped water channels between them. Um, uh, 
the idea being that the, you know, the water flow uh, can continue. Um, what, what do you think about the overall design in terms of the environmental impact? Um, sorry, sorry, so that, 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 sorry that, was, that was one for, for Ryan, Ryan, Ryan Ipp. Uh, I should just reintroduce, actually, we've got to, uh, Ryan Ipp, uh, Vice President and Co-Head of Research at the R Hong Kong Foundation, and also Lam Chu Ying, former Director of the Hong Kong Observatory and Honorary Chairman of the Hong Kong Birdwatching Society. So, so I, I was just wanting to put that question to Ryan Ipp. Hello, um, sorry, no, no, sorry, <laughs> sorry, uh, uh, for, uh, that was for somebody else, uh, uh, Ryan Ipp still with us? Okay, uh, I think he may, I think he may not be, okay, um, yeah, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, um, um, yeah, Vienna Mac? Yeah. Okay, okay, thank you. Um, I, we think that the Y-shaped uh, channel design, um, it, it, obviously it is no help to, uh, to, to, to save the dolphins and porpoises because, um, all the islands, all the habitat, the one, one thousand hectares have been lost and it is, uh, uh, already causing a great damage to the porpoise habitat. And the only Y-shaped channel left for the dolphins or the porpoise, they even could not uh, go through that channel. So, so it is no hope for the dolphins and porpoises. But for other marine mammals, there is also some concern about this kind of design because uh, waterfall, is it really uh, no, 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 not being affected by this kind of design? It is uh, so many things to be um, monitored and, and even studied. And they, the government has not yet released uh, much information or data to prove that this kind of design is working. So um, we, we are far from like uh, commenting on this. Okay, yeah. uh, uh, Ryan uh, welcome back. Hello. Hello, sorry, we lost you for a moment. Uh, wh what are your thoughts about the design of this project and the, the, the water channels between the three islands? I think um, uh, obviously it's too, too early to, uh, to, to comment because, uh, uh, as Vienna has said, the government hasn't released uh, too much uh, detailed information on it, on it yet, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure uh, the government should release more information. I think they, they actually, I think they actually they're going to release more information by the end of this year. I think yeah. uh, uh, we, we, we can actually come back to that and uh, uh, have more comments on that by then. Uh, but obviously, I think uh, environmental protections and also uh, protection of ecology is, is actually a very important and integral part of uh, this project. I think uh, without uh, 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 without serious uh, thought about it, uh, the, the, the project does not. And actually, it cannot go on, because, right? Because uh, it has to go through the statutory um, uh, required um, environmental impact assessment. Mm -hmm. Yes, but it, isn't it, um, you know, strange to have the consultation uh, before the uh, environmental impact assessment, the EIA? Uh, because if we want to be very serious about it, we should look at the data. We should look at the findings of the EIA before, you know, having a consultation. I think even if you look at past practices, uh, the consultation for the planning and design of uh, any project is actually separate uh, with the consultation on the environmental impact assessment. I think the government should have another round of um, consultation alone for the environmental impact assessment. I think uh, that is the usual process. Uh, it's also the usual process of what we did uh, in our past uh, uh, large-scale land development projects. Mm. Um, um, let's ask um, Lam Chu Ying. Uh, from the point of view of the uh, bird watching society, what are your concerns? Well, I I I would not like to confine my comments to the birds, but um, 
but but at least I could say that uh, that area is important to the what belly seagull, and uh, naturally it is uh, very important to keep uh, uh, a species at the top of the food chain. So this is the only thing I would talk about birds. I would like to come back to certain basic points. One, two, three. One, we are we are not talking about environmental protection. Actually, we are talking about an artificial island creating a, a, a major risk to the life of people who would be living on the island in the future. But those risks actually is non-existent now. So why should we create new risks for Hong Kong? The second point is that, well, we have been trying to hide ourselves behind the one country, two systems uh, principle. Two systems, so that we could damage the sea, we could reclaim the sea in spite of the ban or, uh, from the uh, state council. And hiding behind the two systems, we are not joining our, our people on the mainland in the protection of the ecology of our country. So. Uh, finally, I would only say that um, my humble vision for Hong Kong is that we should not be the worst city in China in terms of ecological protection. Mm. It would be a shame for us. Mm. Okay. Well, I think we should probably uh, uh, let Ryan Yip uh, respond to that. Um, um, if, uh, if there's no um, you know, uh, reclamation taking place in the waters around the mainland, is it appropriate for Hong Kong or is like, Hong Kong in a, a particularly uh, unique position? Well, I think, uh, uh, first of all, I think that uh, it, 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 I think not all reclamation has stopped in uh, mainland China. I think according to the exact wording uh, uh, is that uh, reclama- only reclamations of strategic importance uh, will be able to uh, will, will be allowed to carry on uh, in the mainland China. That's uh, uh, point number one. Point number two is uh, when we look at this project, we we should look at it uh, on a uh, you know um, you know a local perspective in the sense that uh, we look at uh, whether it worth, it is worthwhile to do it uh, in terms of uh, in terms of cost, money, and also in terms of whether it should provide it will provide enough. Uh, necessary housing, other land in Hong Kong, and thirdly, uh, we should look at it on a on, on a sense that uh, would it uh, uh, be sufficiently uh, uh, provide uh, can it sufficiently uh, uh, protect the environment during its uh, construction uh, and also uh, uh, later process. So I think uh, we should look at uh, this project in these. Uh, Okay, well, no doubt we'll be uh, returning to it uh, in the future. Thank you very much uh, to uh, our three guests this morning. Uh, That was uh, Ryan Yip, uh, Vice President and co-head of research at the Our Hong Kong Foundation. Thanks very much to Lam Chu Ying, former director of the Hong Kong Observatory and honorary chairman of the Hong Kong Birdwatching Society, and Vienna Mack who is the vice chairman, vice chairperson of the Hong Kong Dolphin Conservation Society. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233 and have your say. 
And for the final part uh, of the programme this morning, uh, we're turning our attention uh, to another topic, and that is the use of uh, glue boards for catching rats. And that's after it's been found that uh, a number of wild birds have also been caught in them. Um, we have in our Admiralty studio Dr Fiona Woodhouse, uh, Deputy Director Welfare for the uh, Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Um, good morning to you. Good morning. And also, um, we're also going to be joined by uh, Dr Renata Snow, who's a veterinarian at the... Uh, uh, at uh, Kaduri Farm and Botanical Gardens at uh, Flora Conservation Department. Um, uh, Dr Woodhouse, uh, uh, first, uh, so w what do you think about the use of these uh, these glue boards? I mean, they're put down on the ground, they're sort of, uh, they're, they're obviously covered in thick glue, rats walk on, into them, they get stuck, and uh, but oh, unfortunately you know, they can also catch other creatures. Um, I think basically from a fundamental point of view, glue traps are very, very negative in terms of animal welfare, even if we recognise there is a need to do rodent control for public health reasons. Um, in many areas around the world, these are actually banned because they recognise how uh, severe the welfare consequences are for either the target animals, the rats, the mice, or the non-target species that get caught up. Um, and where they aren't banned in some areas, they're very tightly regulated, so they can only be used by licensed pest controllers in controlled situations. And I think that, you know, from our perspective, we've been raising this issue as far back as 2010, when we did a comparative law res research project with Hong Kong U and identified areas with the sort of regulations of traps and pest control devices. Um, and obviously, this has become an increasing issue. Um, and Renata, you know, it could have Kodori Farm will probably see a few more cases than we do, um, but we do transfer our uh, glue trap uh, birds um, in many cases to them unless they're already dead or dying. Um, but we do, we have seen a hamster caught in a glue trap. Um, we've also seen lizards and the more, more common non-target species besides birds are um, kittens, cats. Mm. Oh How would a hamster come to be caught in a glue trap? Mm, I presume it was an escape pet and it just happened to wander somewhere where, as a, as a rodent, it could access where somebody had placed a glue trap. Right. Um, these glue boards have been around for a long time, uh, Dr Woodhouse, uh, but uh, we, we haven't been, uh, you know, talking about that or we, or at least I'm not aware that, no, these glue boards are really quite dangerous. Yeah, I think they've not been around for that long. If you look at the legislation, glue boards are not specifically mentioned in the uh, CAT 170A regulations that list pest control, approved pest control devices. So I think they're a more recent uh, development and become more widespread. Um, and the issue is, is that these animals become stuck, including the rats and mice, to the glue boards. They're quite often left there to uh, die of starvation or dehydration. They'll suffer horribly while they're stuck to the board. Um, sometimes people pick up the live animals stuck to boards, chuck them in the bin, or I have heard of people putting the, the boards in boiling water, whether the animals are alive or not, we're not sure, um, so they can reuse them again. And the issue with these traps is that you're supposed to, you know, if you really want to reduce the welfare consequences, to check them regularly and be able to humanely kill the animals when you, you find them. So there is recommendation from the Uni University's Federation for Animal Welfare that glue traps, you know, should be banned, but at least they shouldn't be accessible to members of the public who don't have the ability or wherewithal to use them humanely. Okay. Uh, we do have a statement from the Environment and Ecology Bureau, which we'll uh, uh, refer to in a moment. But first of all, let's just welcome um, Renata Snow, who's a, a vet with uh, Kaduri Farm uh, Fauna Conservation Department. Good morning. 
Good morning. So how much of a problem is this? And, and, and what kind of uh, creatures have you found that have been uh, caught in these traps other than rats? Um, so it is a very serious problem. Um, and I think the first thing to say is we have noticed an alarming increase in um, both absolute numbers of glue trap victims that we've received at our rescue centre, but also as a proportion of the total number of cases we've received. Um, and so just in 2022 alone, we had 100 glue trap birds, as well as a handful of birds and mammals. Mm. Um, now the birds affected are from a wide range of species. Um, so we see small passerines such as sparrows and doves, but also water birds um, and birds of prey as well, which we think might be attracted by rodents stuck in traps. Where, where are these glue balls normally placed uh, so that birds uh, can actually fly so low and get stuck in them? Um, the animals we receive come from a wide range of locations in Hong Kong, but I don't know exactly how they're placed on the ground where they're found. Um, I think we have seen some particularly worrying um, sort of pictures of uh, scatter techniques of, of glue traps being just randomly placed in outdoor areas in flower beds where there may be sort of rodent issues, but obviously birds will fly down to investigate the ground level. So we do see them all over the place. And I think that besides glue trap, we have to also raise the issue that there seems to be problems with other areas of pest control in terms of rodenticide bait laying. So again, that's being not carried out to best practice, um, quite often not labelled, uh, distributed in areas where non-target species can, can access as well. Mm. Okay, the, the, the statement from the Environment and Ecology Bureau says that, that uh, at present the, the, the glue boards for catching rats are only used in what they say are suitable places where the rodent problem is serious, such as public markets. Um, it seems that um, several departments are involved in this, Food and Environmental Hygiene Department as well. It says uh, once... Um, the uh, rat boards are, are found to capture rats. They will be disposed of in a humane manner as soon as possible. But uh, Fiona Woodhouse, you were saying that that's not necessarily the uh, what you've observed. Um, again, you know, these traps are available to the general public. You mm. can go down, I think, to a hardware store and probably buy them for you know ten or fifteen dollars. So, you know, where you have professional uh, pest control companies and departments using them in a properly sort of regulated manner in areas where there's minimal risk of non-target species and they're regularly checked, then you can reduce the welfare concerns. But it is, you know, in terms of um, other recommendations, there are other rec methods that are recommended as more welfare friendly if you accept that we need to do this pest control. I think the other thing that's worth mentioning is that the same environments that will attract um, rats in urban areas will also attract urban wildlife. Um, so, you know, in Hong Kong, we're lucky we have a lot of different species of birds in urban areas, um, but they will go for the same food sources and some of the same hiding places as well. Um, so it, is, it, it can be hard to be selective. Um, another thing that was mentioned is that these traps are mainly being used at night, again, to try to target um, rats and mice more specifically. But we have also seen at Kaduri Farm nocturnal birds being received. Um, so we do have to be careful around them. Now, we haven't seen the details of how the government is managing managing the, um, the use of the, um, the glue traps and their exact protocols for making sure that things are humane. So we can't really comment on that specifically. But what I'm also concerned about is that the profile of glue traps has ridden in the, uh, risen in the press recently. Um, and so we're concerned that more of the general public will be using these traps, and as mentioned by Fiona, um, without awareness or consideration of the animal welfare issues associated with them. Um, and that is, that's, that's a bigger concern as well. You know, they're being used without proper oversight. Right. Um, I, 
I think also um, our data backs up Renata's uh, comment that she's seeing more cases at KFBG. Um, five years ago, we were seeing maybe 40 cases of glue trap animals a year, and that's risen to over 100 ourselves in the past couple of years. So we are definitely seeing more incidences of non-target animals coming in. So, so what happens to the animals or birds uh, that are trapped in these glue boards? Um, can they be saved? Um, so it's overall about, we're able to save about 50% of them, which considering the state that they come in and is, a, I think, a huge credit to our very hardworking and dedicated animal rehabilitation staff. Um, many of the ones we receive are dead by the time they get to us um, and then more die shortly afterwards from stress, exhaustion, starvation, dehydration. Um, the injuries that I see as a vet uh you know, pretty unpleasant. Um, fractures are very common, so these animals are struggling so much that they fracture their own bones. I've seen fractured shoulders, fractured wings, fractured legs. Um, we also see skin lesions where their skin has the reaction to the chemicals in the glue, so it turns red and it sloughs off within a few days, um, leaving us with open wounds that we have to manage. Um, and we also see feather damage as well. And the thing to remember with birds is it takes them six months to a year to grow, to grow a new set of feathers. Um, and so sometimes we'll end up having to keep these birds in captivity for extended periods of time until they can fly again. Um, so the damage is really pretty, you know, it's a pretty wide range of injuries um, and suffering that we're seeing. Uh, th these uh, devices have been banned, as we've heard, uh, in many parts of the world. Um, and do you think they should be banned here also? Most definitely. Mm. Mm. Yep, I agree mm. with Fiona. Right. Right, right. Um, um, what, what, what are the alternatives yeah. uh, for rodent control uh, in those countries banning the use of uh, these glue boards? Um, they have quite often licensed press control uh, operatives and they have um, sort of devices that are allowed to be used. So normally the, the replacement methods are the traditional snap traps, but there's a lot of research um, at those to make sure they're standardized so they are humane so we don't get any a lower standard rat traps that may cause injuries as opposed to instant death or, or relatively instant death. And then unfortunately rodenticides are still a popular methodology as well. Um, but the real focus should be on understanding the ecology of the rats and mice and these creatures we consider pests because quite often they do play an important part of the ecosystem. They are decayers or decomposers. Um, they are prey for predator species as Renata's mentioned. So our uh, raptors, some of the reptiles will prey on these, these animals. So we need to look at when we need to do proper pest control for public health and when we need to might uh, sort of accept that they need to be around at a certain level to play their role in the ecosystem. So most mm -hmm. of the methods should be targeting prevention, um, changing human behaviours, rat proofing your buildings, uh, better waste management, probably changing all our bins, looking at how we do our sort of planting around urban areas so we're not mm. sort of creating harbourage for the rats to live in. Yeah, I'm thinking of the environmental and hygiene department. They, they need to, um, you know, well, elevate the hygiene conditions of wet markets, for example. You know, they put these glue traps in a corner. Uh, chances <laughs> might be more rare for these uh, um, birds uh, to get stuck in, you know, in the corner of a wet market. Uh, w would that uh, be okay for you? 
to to use those things indoors only. Um, uh, that would be an improvement, but again, the the suffering for the target species is also very very great. So it would be better to actually improve wet market management. Um, you know, get rid of all the waste that you see around. I mean, I know it's a very difficult environment, but that's what we need to look at. And you know, our bins in Hong Kong are ideal for rats to get in and out. Um, in Europe, you'll go around, you'll see different types of bins where they have lids on. They've got plastic bags. They're suspended off the ground, so rats can't get in. So we need to look at all levels of management. Mm. Um, and I think the other the other thing to note is that um, glue traps are quite a short-term solution, and they're not actually addressing the root causes of why rats want to live in those environments in the first place. Um, and so, though, although it, it sounds like a quick fix. Um, it's, I think, more sustainable to go for the more longer-term solution of changing our environments. Um, it was, when you say changing our environment, are you thinking about um, uh, what, we, what uh, we just heard that Fiona Woodhouse describing, or, 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 or as um, Ada said, uh, making wet markets or something like more hygienic? And yeah. both of those things. So by keeping environments <laughs> clean and tidy, you know, you're helping to remove leftover food that's on the ground, um, but you're also um, eliminating hiding places and nooks and crannies um, and, and corners where these. Um, rats like to hang out. Um, but the other thing you can do is look around for potential nesting sites for rats. Um, and so if you can think from the rat's point of view and find things that places that are attractive to them, you can try to modify those places so that they're either inaccessible or that they're more open um, so they won't be um, breeding grounds for rats. Um, and the FEHD website actually has some great leaflets on how to modify environments in different settings, um, whether that's shopping malls or hawker centers um, or private homes. Um, and for example, how to manage false ceilings, which are a popular hideout for rodents. Um, so, you know, there, there's a lot of things we can do before we, we get to the level of discussing um, culling. Yeah, I think also it's important, as Renata says, to understand what species you're dealing with. Mice versus Norway rats versus roof rats, because they, they have different strategies for control. Okay. Uh, interesting. Thank you both very much for joining us uh, on the programme this morning. Uh, that was uh, Dr Fiona Woodhouse, Deputy Director for Welfare at the Society for Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. And thank you to Dr Renata Snow, who's a veterinarian at uh, Kaduri Farm and Botanical Gardens with their Fauna Conservation Department. Um, thank you to our listeners and thanks very much to our guest presenter, Ada. Thank you, Jim. And a quick look at the weather before we go to uh, the... Uh, um, hang on, sorry. Uh, yeah, OK, got it. Um, it's mainly cloudy today. Visibility rather low in some areas. Uh, sunny intervals uh, during the day. Top temperature around 23 degrees. Uh, one or two uh, light rain patches in the morning and at night. Uh, light to moderate easterly winds. Fresh at night and, uh, sorry, the outlook, yeah, mainly cloudy with some mist in the next couple of days, uh, windier on Wednesday. Stand by for the new summary and brunch with Noreen. Under the laws of Hong Kong, operating a money-changing or remittance service in Hong Kong, whether in a shop, on the internet, at an office or elsewhere, requires a license from the Commissioner of Customs and Exports.